Welcome to Global Questions by YDS, the podcast breaking down global politics for young people who want to know more. I'm your host, Jen Marcocci. For today's bonus episode, I am joined with former Prime Minister, the Honourable Kevin Rudd. But part of the challenge here is to blast out of the way this corrupt media monopoly, which is corrupting Australian politics and not providing a fair go for all sides. After stepping down from political life, Mr Rudd has become vocal about diversity in Australia's media landscape. Today we are discussing the monopoly that is the Murdoch Empire, the News Media Bargaining Code and the Royal Commission Petition. Now for some background on the topic. This year, the ACCC developed a mandatory code of conduct to address bargaining power imbalances between news media businesses and the tech giants, specifically Google and Facebook. Yet the code largely benefits News Corp, aka Murdoch, as he owns 70% of Australia's newsprint readership. To put this into perspective a bit more, Murdoch will be paid by the tech giants to have his stories featured online, whilst the ABC and SBS are banned from gaining any remuneration. Mainly Murdoch will have advanced access to Facebook, Google and YouTube's algorithms and users' private data. This has questionable effects, such as micro-targeting users, creating echo chambers and encouraging agenda setting for online discourse. Mr Rudd started the petition in opposition to the code and broader concerns about Murdoch's power within political and public discourse. The petition aims to ensure a strong, diverse media landscape. More can be read about its purpose and the news media bargaining code from links in the description. So today I'm joined with Mr. Kevin Rudd, a former Prime Minister of Australia between 2007 and 2010 and 2013. Just for those living under a rock or just too young to know, Mr. Rudd is currently the president of the Asia Society Policy Institute in New York and currently on the Sunshine Coast. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Rudd. It's a pleasure and a privilege to say the least. Well, it's great to join you and uh, happy to talk with all the good folks who'll be listening in. Yeah, I put it to the Global Questions community to see if they had any burning questions for you. And I think you'll be a bit impressed with what they wanted to know. So firstly, and importantly, which is your favourite handball move, the COVID smash or the dog shot through the legs? You know, dealing with your average level of high level male frustration, I think it's more the COVID smash. Fair enough. It has more of an expiation kind of uh, effect. The dog shot is a little sneaky. Hence, hence the name dog shots. So uh, I only trade those uh, trade secrets with genuine devotees of the handball game about how to catch your opponent unaware. But in terms of pure satisfaction and thinking that you've finally got on top of your opponent, the COVID smash is more my favourite. I'm not going to rechristen it soon, the Murdoch smash. But Yes, I think that's a welcome change. And do you think your beard helps with the aerodynamics of your handball game? It's true because the updraft is quite important here in terms of shaping the precise trajectory of the ball. And so I subjected this to a lot of scientific analysis, got a lot of consultancy reports in, and basically it's lifted my game. Mind you, my game was shit to start with. So uh, the extent to which it's lifted my game isn't entirely a, a matter for others to analyse. <laughs> really? Well, I was going to say that if the News Royal Commission could get on the same level as your handball skills, we'd be in luck, but maybe not so much now. <laughs> well, we'll see, you know. There are certain analogies in all this, you know, which is uh, a good game of handball depends on a level playing field around a court. We don't have that in terms of Australia's media politics. Depends on having an independent umpire. Well, we don't have that. The Australian uh, Press Council is kind of appeases Murdoch's manipulation of the news rather than acts as an independent arbiter. And then in the case of Australia, the entire game of Australian media is owned by Murdoch, whereas uh, handball is owned by all of us who want to be players. So there you go. There's some analogies. I love it. That's why why we need the Murdoch smash. (laughs) Yes. 
So at the moment, you're essentially going head to head with Murdoch himself. What's kind of given you the courage and motivation for starting this campaign and now the News Royal Commission? Well, look, I've always known Murdoch's a problem and people often criticise me for saying, but when you were Prime Minister, why didn't you act? Well, the truth is, back then, prior to 2010, Murdoch was difficult for Australian Labor governments, but not impossible. And if you look at the period prior to 2010, more often than not, he endorsed Conservatives. But sometimes uh, he endorsed uh, Labor parties and Labor governments. And at that time, his editorial views didn't dictate the content of all the news coverage. In the period since 2010, we've really, it's really entered an entirely different world. If Murdoch was, if I put it, a, a 6 out of 10 problem for progressive politics prior to 2010, it's become a 9.5 out of 10 problem now. And how do we measure that? Well, it's an objective question. It's not subjective. In the 18 federal and state elections held since 2010, Murdoch has viciously campaigned for the Liberal and National Party and against Labor, not just in the editorial position, but in the news coverage. That's not a level playing field. And uh, secondly, if you look at the dynamics of climate change coverage by the Murdoch media in the last decade, it has gone from bad to atrocious. And we still have climate change denialism uh, reported as if it's just another, you know, interesting point of view or in some parts of his paper, the mainstream orthodoxy. So we got to a stage where they just crossed a line. And for me, that occurred probably two or three years ago. So my campaign about uh, a Murdoch Royal Commission or Murdoch as a cancer on democracy hashtag, if you look back at my social media records, it's probably two or three years ago I began this. But I thought a way to give everyone else a say in open participatory democracy was to open this for the Australian people to put their name to a petition. And hence why we're on the cusp of breaking the Australian record for uh, the number of signatures for an online petition. So that's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And why don't you think other public figures haven't joined you strongly? I know Turnbull signed the petition very recently and has shown support here and there. But do you expect more public figures to come out and support? Probably not. And there's a reason for it is Murdoch frightens people. It's just true. Yeah. It's a culture of fear. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. To quote a British politician, a conservative, in the most recent BBC three-part series on the Murdoch Empire, where the British conservative politician said, having Murdoch decide that you are an enemy is a bit like having an entire division of the SS dispatched against you in terms of investigative reporting, news reporting, and the rest, an editorial slant. They will just make your life an entire misery. And they will seek to destroy your reputation, directly or indirectly. And they'll seek to have you out of public life sooner rather than later. And so what has happened is that this culture of fear has become more pervasive. And it's not just the political class. If you ask a symbol corporate leader today to speak out against Murdoch's bias, you won't find one. If you find a peak industry body to speak out against Murdoch's bias, I don't think you'll find one. If you were to look at the various faculties of journalism across Australia's 43 universities at present and ask which of them has a rigorous independent academic study underway about the patterns of bias in Australian media, virtually none of them. And there's a reason. You know, fear is not irrational. Fear is quite rational because they don't want to be hurt. <laughs> yeah. And Murdoch has hurt people a lot over the years, individually. And all of their heads are, you know, displayed as pikes on the top of pikes outside the city gates with a little caption on me saying, beware ye all ye who enter here. <laughs> and Malcolm Turnbull's head is on that pike in terms of the monstrous intervention in the internal affairs of the Liberal Party just a couple of years ago. So, so to answer your question, 
people are frightened. Mm. And part of my reason for doing what I'm doing is to cause people to be less frightened because there's strength in numbers. And on top of that, it's a bit like dealing with a schoolyard bully. Until you stand up to the bully, they'll just get worse. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So when they take my head off, make sure you, you run a, a, an interview, a podcast uh, in memoriam. Yeah, of course. <laughs> It's interesting that you're mentioning fear because the thing that kind of started this was the bargaining agreement, right? Mm. And Morrison and the coalition are known for the coin phrase, like, we look after our mates. Do you see the news mm. media bargaining code as a reinforcement of this phrase or more kind of them succumbing to the fear of Murdoch in mm. another sense? Well, most realities are a cocktail of the above, but the best way to, I think, frame our view of the Murdoch syndicate, I think it's best called a syndicate, and the Liberal National Party syndicate, is that it's a mutual protection society and it's a protection racket. So what happens in the operationalization of it, the Liberal National Party are protected by the Murdoch protection racket from scrutiny of poor public policy decision-making. For example, the fact that um, Morrison took so long to initiate economic measures to deal with the Australian economic downturn receives zero critical analysis in the Murdoch media. Number two, zero coverage and exposure and analysis of, let's call it just waste and mismanagement. Take, for example, the amount of money spent on this COVID app. Where is the analysis of that? If I'd done a COVID app, paid X million dollars for it, and it didn't work, let me tell you, uh, not just my health minister who would have come up with the idea that I would have been held personally accountable for every person who hasn't been able to successfully use their COVID app and be forced to make an apology to each of them personally, apart from, you know, the the wasting public funds. But the third area where it gets really insidious is just corruption. And so the, the accusations uh, which now exist coming out of an Auditor General's report about the payment of $30 million of taxpayers' money for a $3 million valued block of land at the Badgeries Creek site to a guy who uh, is reportedly a Liberal, Liberal Party donor. I mean, this stinks to high heaven. Where do you find this in the Murdoch Daily coverage? Well, you don't. The most recent revelations about corruption within uh, Border Force, negligible coverage in the Murdoch media. The uh, allegations concerning the provision of uh, funds for this Barrier Reef consultancy a couple of years ago, uh, which runs to hundreds of millions of dollars, no reporting. And so where it therefore has an insidious effect on the democracy, you might call it a cancer on the democracy. It's not just because they bash up on the Labour Party and the Green Party and progressives in general, but uh, they actually protect the other side from any level of scrutiny. So what's in for them? Two things. One is ideology, because Murdoch is a deeply far-right ideological creature who uh, hates political progressives with a passion, who believes in absolute tax minimization to help his bottom line. Why do you think he's in love with Trump? Trump's uh, tax changes in the United States have put $2 billion effectively back into uh, news corporations' pockets. And then on top of that, deeply ideological on climate change. So it's a combination of ideology and the protection of the business interests, hence tax. And then look at most recently the gift of several tens of millions of dollars by Morrison out of taxpayer money to Fox in Australia to cover women's sport, for God's sake, and to force the ABC to pay Fox for use of women's sport footage. So when I say a mutual protection racket, this is not just a throwaway line from Kevin Rudd being accused of being, you know, hyperbole. It's not. It's actually, these are the evidences of it in the mutuality of the protection racket. And from your experience, as a former Prime Minister, you've had a fair few run-ins as like a front page story on Murdoch outlets. But how do they go about legitimising disinformation? As James Murdoch put it recently, 
in political framing of public figures because hmm. I know that they twist they twist topics yeah also they can get quite personal well, let me give you an example on the disinformation story this is how it's done usually they'll kick it off with a um, Sunday newspaper uh, exclusive story as a scandal sheet against a senior Labour politician they run it then in their daily tabloids over several days and, and then usually they'll bleed it out into the Sky Media uh, Sky television coverage in Australia and then filter its way into sympathetic uh, right-wing radio networks like the uh, 2GB uh, network, the 3AW network, uh, the 4BC network here in Queensland. So I'll give you a case study of the Kevin Rudd uh, hairdryer incident. The truth is, it never happened. There was no hairdryer. I never asked for a hairdryer. The allegation was I was visiting the troops in Afghanistan and, quote, lost it because they couldn't find me a hairdryer to properly blow-dry my hair. I mean, this was a total fabrication. It was just made up. There's no basis for it. I don't even remember staying there overnight. I may have, but, you know, it's just, my hair's a wreck normally. I mean, it's just life, you know. And my way of fixing my hair is doing this, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then it kind of looks neat for about the next, you know, 15 minutes, and then it's a wreck again. It's just what, that's the kind of hair I got. But the bottom line is, if you go to the actual analysis of the story and look at it, these are unspecified, unsourced allegations. And as it was finally unpacked, it, the sources were a couple of visiting Liberal National Party backbenchers to Afghanistan sometime later who heard this from somebody there, someone in the ADF. And that was it. And then when we tried to pin it down on them to actually own the story, they ran away from it a million miles an hour. So therefore, when James Murdoch says disinformation, to totally invent a story and then to bleed it out into the general news coverage so that by the time it is finally disproven, it nonetheless has a lingering effect in the public consciousness in their view of me and my integrity. Most recent Queensland elections, only Saturday a few days ago, there's a front page story reporting an allegation from a whistleblower to the Courier-Mail uh, that the Labor Party had been uh, improperly accessing uh, database information from the Queensland electoral roll to send out political information. Front page and then screamer about uh, Labor warting the electoral system. Then page four and five inside. Boom full story. By about five o'clock that day, the Australian Electoral Commission and the Electoral Commission of Queensland formally repudiated the statement altogether, the story altogether, and said that there was nothing improper, uh, let alone unethical or un illegal that the Labor Party had done. And then a minor correction is issued online after the damage is done. That's how they operate. So disinformation has become as much a science uh, for this mob as it has been from the worst Leninist parties in the world. And that's how the cancer on democracy also spreads. It's how they operate. They operate as a syndicate and a protection rate. The reason why I'm asking this and trying to help our listeners understand what goes on behind the scenes is because there's a lot of people, I don't know, watching Sky News or Sky After Dark as mm. I know it as, and they're the only platform I could find that's really discrediting you. And even saying things like politicians seeking to silence critical voices is nothing new and some of the signatures are fraudulent. Some even gone as far to say the Royal Commission is a personal vendetta. So is there anything in this Royal Commission for you? And how do you respond to that broader opposition of your cause? Well, because they operate as a syndicate and a protection racket for one side of politics, it's inevitable that they're going to attack me and uh, do it on a rolling basis. And the way in which Sky News operates, I never watch it. They feed out um, lines, key lines and themes to the Liberal Party and National Party network across the country so that that becomes their 
framing for discussion on the part of their local opinion leaders. So people watching that program might number in the small number of thousands, but we mistake it to say that therefore it's not unimportant because it goes directly to their supporter base and their operatives across the country who then take the framing of the question and then uh, work the disinformation lines accordingly. So that's how they operate. Secondly, uh, on the question that they specifically challenge, which is fraudulent signatures on the bloody petition, the petition is run by the Australian Parliament. I deliberately did not put one up there run by KRA precisely to avoid this accusation. So it is run by the Australian Parliament. It's on the House of Representatives site. You have to access this impossible piece of software up there to register your name on the petition. And so if the Parliament subsequently discovers that of those who put their name on the site, there are a number who shouldn't be there, that's a matter for the Parliament, not a matter for me. So I have gone to the most authoritative mechanism possible. If I ran one on my own side, I'd probably end up with double the number of petitions because A, the technology would be more user-friendly, the, the crap that the Australian Parliament's currently using, and B, people wouldn't have walked away therefore in frustration and irritation through not being able to get through. As for what's in it for me for having a Royal Commission, I'm not about to be the Royal Commissioner, guess what? I don't get to ask the questions. That's a matter for an independent Royal Commissioner. And it's pretty rich uh, when the Liberal National Party have established Royal Commissions targeted against each of their political adversaries over time. Uh, I had one uh, targeted against me, the uh, home insulation program, and even their hand-picked Royal Commissioner had to find in the end that I had nothing to be held responsible for in black and white. That's their conclusion. They did the same with Gillard in relation to um, their relationship with trade union prior to their entering Parliament. And again, they uh, made no adverse finding against her. They did one against the Labour Party on two occasions over, I think it was the sale or the lease of Labour Party headquarters in Canberra to the Australian Audit Office at some stage. So the Liberal National Party have used royal commissions repeatedly to smear their political opponents. These have never been attacked uh, by the Murdoch media. They simply lap it up and run it as if it's, you know, every element of it is according to oil. And what I've said in the proposed terms of reference for this uh, Royal Commission of Media Diversity is it is, yes, about the Murdoch monopoly, but it is also about the impact on Australian media diversity of Nine's takeover of Fairfax, City Morning Herald and the uh, Melbourne Age. It's also about the decision by Murdoch and others to divest from um, Australian Associated Press, which is uh, one of the few remaining independent news outlets in the country. But just as it's also about uh, the impact of the new global social media titans, uh, Facebook and Google, and just as it's also about the future funding base for the ABC and how that is best legislatively entrenched and protected. So against the, oh, you know, this is all about trying to shut down legitimate criticism of, uh, of the public political process, all pigs might fly. This mob, the Murdoch Mafia, have absolute glass jaws when you turn the blowtorch around and apply it to them. They're used to dishing it out to everybody, except, of course, those under the protection racket. But when it comes to the blowtorch being applied to them, and they run a million miles. That's because ultimately they're a bunch of cowards. Anthony Albanese went on 2GB recently saying, I'm not sure that the petition will meet its objectives. And some critics are saying that the Royal Commission probably won't go ahead. Why wouldn't it go ahead or its objectives be met? Well, ultimately, uh, Albo has a responsibility to run the current Parliamentary Labor Party, and there'll be a range of views within the party on that. I think the first question should, all be, up, should be put in the first instance to Morrison. Why don't you have a Royal Commission? to underpin media diversity. People just assume this question should never be asked. 
have we all become so politicised into our thinking and influenced by the prevailing paradigms that we should not ask the Prime Minister of the day why 400,000 plus Australians are out of their screaming mind for wanting and demanding a Royal Commission? Well, the first question should be answered by Morrison, the principal beneficiary of the Protection Grant. Everyone just seems to sort of skip on from that. Uh, as for the Labor Party, well, I'm sure the debates will be had over an extended period of time once the petition is concluded. It's got less than about 10 days or a week to run now. You're only given one month to collect your decisions for a um, petition. If you have a paper petition, by the way, you can have it out there for a very long period of time, but not for an online petition. So once ours closes in the next week or so, I'm sure there'll be a long series of internal debates from the Labor Party about what should be done on the overall question of media diversity. And then thirdly, there's also the question of what state governments do on these matters. Of course, some state governments in the past have also conducted their own royal commissions into aspects of media monopoly. And so I think, as I say in the um, preamble to the petition, it's a matter for all governments concerned about media diversity. In my home state of Queensland, for example, I cannot name a single newspaper here that is not owned by Murdoch in the whole state. Wow. It's just none. Like from Cairns to Coolangatta. Every one of them is owned by Murdoch. And as we speak, each one of them running uh, huge um, black and gold advertisements from Palmer, um, making this um, uh, allegation of an absolute lie that a Labor government would introduce a death tax. Death taxes were abolished in Australia half a century ago. No politician would ever put up their hand uh, to bring in a death tax. And if we were so interested, we've had ample legislative opportunities in the 20 years or so we've been in government out of the last 50 federally, and in the case of Queensland government, 25 of the last 30 years in government, if we wanted to bring in a death tax, let me tell you, there'd be plenty of times to bring it in, but there's no interest in it. So this is a bald-faced lie. It's not cannot be attributed to any single statement about anything in the Labor Party. Yet what is happening is that the Murdoch Media Monopoly is taking Clive Palmer's money, huge amount of money, running ads through all these uh, loss-making newspapers, Cairns, Post, Townsville Bulletin, Mackay Mercury, Rockhampton Morning Bulletin, uh, the Bundaberg News Mail, uh, and uh, the Maribara Chronicle, uh, the Sunshine Coast Daily, the Brisbane Courier Mail, and the Gold Coast Bulletin, every one of them owned by Murdoch. And running these is page two and three ads um, in the lead up to the Queensland state election. And so Murdoch earns money from Palmer. Palmer does the Liberal National Party's and Murdoch's work by perpetrating a lie directly uh, that if you vote for Labor government, you'll end up with a death tax. And then as a consequence, uh, we end up um, with even a deeper cancer on the democracy. Because we're um, a youth base, climate change is a really big issue for us. And recently, Media Watch highlighted that not one Murdoch newsprint or online outlet reported the research finding that 50% of the coral reef, Great Barrier Reef, is dead and the cause was undeniable climate change, whilst it was being reported over 700 times around the world in Japan, Europe, you name it. Do you think that the Murdoch Empire's conservatism has had irreversible effects on the climate change debate in Australia? It has a pernicious damaging and long-term effect, but nothing in politics is irreversible. I mean, I'm a progressive, and by definition, I, I choose professionally and personally to remain optimistic about our opportunity for change. And therefore, for your listeners, signing a petition is one thing, but also think about how you go about boycotting Murdoch products. Think about the pressures you bring through the banks that you invest in on the financial institutions which service the Murdoch Empire. Because if we've seen divestment activity across Australia, 
and across the world from the most carbon intensive companies in the world, the carbon intensive projects in the world. When you've got leading international pension funds, like the Norwegian Pension Fund, Public Investment Fund, declining to invest in future carbon projects, it is not a big leap from there to go to why should you be providing financial services and support for the biggest climate change denialist media organization in the world? And so when you go to, for example, the calling reporting on the Barrier Reef, complete defiance of everything the Commonwealth Scientific Industrial Research Organization, the CSIRO, has concluded, it is proof positive of the fact that we have a structural problem uh, with a climate-changing denial media. It's a bit like the uh, comprehensive refusal on the part of the Murdoch editors to reflect the findings in New South Wales through their own Royal Commission into bushfires, that the mythology pushed around that fires, uh, these fires were the result of arsonist attacks in order to blame, you know, greenies and crazies and whoever else. Again, this has not been ventilated in the uh, the Murdoch media. So my appeal to young people is sign a petition, really important, get your name there, because it's going to close next Tuesday or Wednesday, the 3rd or 4th of November. Number two, think about boycotting all Murdoch products directly and indirectly. And thirdly, start speaking and agitating with financial institutions to ask whether they provide any loans, uh, any financial services uh, to the Murdoch beast. If you're passionate about climate change, and I am, I mean, I'm the guy who legislated twice to get a carbon price I mean, to be uh, knocked over by the Conservatives. And then secondly, the fact that we've got a mandatory renewable energy target in Australia of 20% by 2020 is because I legislated for that. So you can do things. Parliaments and progressive governments can do things. But part of the challenge here is to blast out of the way this corrupt media monopoly, which is corrupting Australian politics and not providing a fair go for all sides. If we keep going on this line and say the Royal Commission does go ahead and the agreement is instated. Are we at risk of becoming like America in its polarised media landscape or more like China with that heavy concentration of control over outlets? Well, at present, when you've got 70% of the Australian print media in one man's hand and virtually 100% in Queensland, uh, really, you're starting to look at a one-paper state. I say that as opposed to a one-party state but it's a slippery slope here. And secondly, short of that, if you want to have a, a window into the future of what Murdoch wants for Australia, tune into American Fox News just for a couple of days and just see what happens in terms of scientific disinformation and the ultimate politics of climate change denialism through the Fox Media Empire. I mean, what your listeners should reflect on, Australia's Rupert Murdoch, through his Fox network in the United States, has become the single most powerful media voice for climate change denial in the United States. Wow. That's not an exaggeration. Day in, day out. It is the entire fabric of Trump's and the far-right Republican Party's media bastion. So that's an Australian. And so therefore, when I say take on the Murdoch beast, if you're passionate about climate change. Do it locally, but understand the role that Murdoch has globally in the world's largest economy and second largest emitter, namely the United States. There you go. Thank you. And last question. Sorry to keep you longer. Do you think if the bargaining agreement does go ahead in its current form, it will be likely rolled out across the world because Murdoch does have ownership in the UK and the US? Mm. So what does this change in Australia mean for the rest of the world, essentially? Well, the Australian legislation, because the Morrison government is a puppet of Murdoch, and that's just the truth of it. I mean, if I were to ask one 
a question to any of your listeners. Name me one piece of legislation by the Morrison government that Murdoch disapproves of. I can't find one. I mean, the Morrison government has become a puppet of the Murdoch uh, media empire. And so this piece of legislation, while technically recommended by the ACCC, the Australian Consumer and Competition uh, Commission, but is subsequently refined by the Morrison government, provides three huge benefits to Murdoch. One, it forces Google and Facebook pay money to Murdoch's media empire if Google and Facebook carry uh, Murdoch content, quote, their news. Two, um, it also provides for unspecified access to information within Google and Facebook's algorithms to Murdoch. In other words, gives Murdoch much more control and an ability to tailor information to the Australian people and the people around the world. And three, prohibits the ABC from being paid by Google and Facebook for use of their content, thereby further undermining the ABC's funding base in Australia. So bad, bad, bad. Do I have a view about uh, Google and Facebook? Yes, I don't like any sort of monopoly. But when I see a legislative regime which has been uh, ramped up here, uh, which has as its principal beneficiary Murdoch, I get very suspicious. And so I think it's going to be a critical piece of legislation for the Senate to consider and the minor parties because the House of Representatives will just give it a rubber stamp because Murdoch's puppet Morrison will do that in the lower house. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mr. Rudd. It's been a pleasure to hear about your experience and understanding Australia's media landscape and its intersection with politics. It's very valuable insight and I wish you the best of luck with the petition. The link is in the description to sign that petition. If you haven't signed it yet, which is a massive sin, you should go and do that now. And there's almost 400,000 signatures, which is amazing. Yeah, we need so to, congrats. to add to the strength of all the other voices in Australia. If you signed already, thank you. Uh, your reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you uh, haven't signed already, um, then uh, we really need your help. So please, friends, family and the rest of you, just get onto it and get into it. We've got uh, about a week left and we want to demonstrate that in one month, we've been able to con collect the biggest online petition in the country's history. That's my objective, to basically say to people, Murdoch, you don't own the country, the people do. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode from Global Questions, produced by the Young Diplomat Society. And remember to check in weekly for news, expert analysis and global career episodes.